This episode is brought to you in part by June's Journey. Picture it, the glamour of the roaring 20s wrapped in a mystery that only you can solve. Dive into June Parker's captivating quest to uncover scandalous family secrets. With your keen eye for detail, find hidden clues and solve mind-boggling puzzles. It's all about observation, intrigue, and drama. But beware, each clue leads deeper into a thrilling storyline filled with danger and romance. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Your adventure awaits. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We waited inside, among the nighttime shadows. Door locked tight, bolted, as if that would save us from the gallows. It was then we heard an upstairs cry, an unnatural tone, furious yet tinny and far too high. But we dared not move, we dared not run. For we all wished dearly to live, to see the sun. The shit you just heard, I ain't write that. That, my friends, was penned by a stranger. Never met, though. I feel like I know him intimately. Let me back up a bit. In 2015 or so, I was on a bit of a lecture circuit visiting colleges, talking about how great being a writer is and why no sane person should ever do it. I still believe that, by the way. Nashville was my last stop. And after that, I decided to reward myself with a weekend of relaxation. A couple of internet searches led me to a quaint little B&B about an hour north, all the way over the border in Kentucky, near a little town called Hopkinsville. I can't tell you what drew me there. In hindsight, it was probably something like fate or the whims of the internet. Anyway, I rolled up the driveway and beheld my storybook lodgings for the next two nights. It was a one-story farmhouse with thick green trees clustered all around it, kind of like nature itself was offering this place up to me. But as I got out of my car and approached the door, I noticed a few things. Things that, if I were one of those online busybodies, I might dock it a few stars. Cracks in the slate walkway, deep scratches in the paint, a few broken windows. Seemed like this storybook was in need of a rewrite. Inside was the same. Bits of furniture were torn up, a temporary piece of cardboard hung over what was clearly a hole in the wall. My critical eye was interrupted by the proprietor, who hustled out to check me in. Before I could ask about the damage, she apologized for the mess. She had an explanation, too. The last group of renters, 
weren't as respectful as she was sure I would be. This lady didn't know me from Adam, but I wasn't about to tell her that, and I wasn't about to traipse all over Kentucky looking for another spot either. So I let my critiques die on my tongue and allowed Miss Proprietor to escort me to my room. Luckily, the room was perfect. Quaint, quiet, cozy. More like a treasured guest room than a rental. And I'd like to tell you that all I did in this little oasis was sit back and relax. But I think you know by now, that's not really why I'm telling you all this. Because when I put my suitcase away in the closet, I found something unexpected. A notebook. I flipped open a page, a random one, and I saw that it was some kind of journal. I was about to put it away, privacy and all that, when I glimpsed a sentence that I couldn't possibly look away from. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. And a little further down the page from that, they're here. As I stared at those words, my curiosity grew like an itch I needed to scratch. And I hope no one judges me for what I did next. I flipped to the first page of that notebook, and I began to read. You're listening to Run, Fool. I'm Rodney Barnes, and this is Episode 4, Hopkinsville Goblins. It was obvious who this notebook belonged to. Said so on the first page. A 30-something aspiring poet named Ben, who clarified that this journal was to record his life experiences so he could always pull from his personal truth when writing. Good for Ben. Lucky for my curious mind, Ben's journal also contained a fair amount of gossip. Mostly about the crew that brought him to this rental in Kentucky farm country. The crew, he explained, were all old friends from college, and they had planned this trip as a kind of mini-reunion, the rental being not far from their shared alma mater, Mary State. And these friends, Ben had tea to share about all of them. There was Lester, a self-proclaimed pacifist and frequent vegetarian who'd married his college sweetheart, Shannon. As for Shannon, She was the very pregnant lady who didn't say much because her nose was always buried in her phone. Maybe because she was busy running her own real estate empire. That was all fine, though. Lester said enough for both of them. And then there was the trip's organizer, Jessie. She'd booked an entire farmhouse for the foursome. See, in college, they'd been real tight-knit. So tight-knit, they'd given themselves a nickname to reflect their closeness. The Cluster. Except sometimes there's a friend who hangs on to those good old days while everyone else moves on. Ben was living in New York and had a shoddy writing career going. Lester and Shannon were expecting a kid and Shan worked full-time and then some. But Jessie, well, she was the hang-on. She never left Kentucky, still worked on campus at Murray State, and still regularly asked the foursome to get together, which they almost never could, busy lives and whatnot. This weekend, however, the group had caved and agreed to a cluster reunion. 
Miss Jessie was obviously thrilled by. When the cluster all got to the farmhouse she'd booked, Jessie proudly presented them with a weekend itinerary. Cocktail hour once they settled in? Sorry, Shan, you can drink Sprite. And then tomorrow, they could hit the Little Green Man Festival. Now that elicited more than a few groans. Apparently, the cluster used to go to this event regularly. It's some kind of kitschy fest to celebrate the area's claim to fame, an alien encounter. In the 1950s, a farmsteading family claimed they engaged in a shootout with a pack of extraterrestrials. It ripped through the headlines at the time and sent the country into a tailspin, wondering if aliens had indeed visited our precious Earth. Hordes of looky-loos descended on the area, hoping they'd find evidence of what had been dubbed the Hopkinsville Goblins. Thing was, no one could ever prove this family saw what they saw. Most thought it was a hoax, or they'd gotten drunk and seen a horde of owls. Stuff like that. In short, a lot of folks claimed the whole rigmarole was BS. Jesse was into it, though, like really into it. She even told them the old farmstead where it happened was just down the road. But all she got were some polite murmurs of faux interest as the group filed inside their rental. By the way, in case you were wondering, judging by the way Ben described this place, there was no doubt. I was indeed staying in the same locale as the cluster. Same house, same location. But from what he described, there were a few differences like an ornate shotgun on the wall that I hadn't seen. And Ben noted everything was neat and tidy. Nothing about the damage I'd noticed upon arrival. Something told me I was about to find out how that damage was inflicted. The group put their gear in their rooms and dutifully congregated in the living room for Jesse's first itinerary item, drinks. She put the music up loud and made a whole show about pouring shots of that same plastic bottle tequila she always drank in college. Even though she could afford the better stuff by this point. But Shannon couldn't partake on account of the baby, and Lester and Ben just sipped on theirs with a wince here and there. Ben wasn't much of a drinker anymore, and Lester, he was distracted by the gun on the wall. Lester hated guns. And since no one was saying how inappropriate it was to use violence as decor, he figured he'd speak up. He shouted his anti-gun tirade over the music while the others nodded along. It just all felt a little tense, not like it used to be in the heyday of the cluster. It was starting to get to Jessie. Usually her friends gave her a hard time about hanging out. Then once they were all together, it was magic. Like no time had passed. But right now, it kind of felt like they were all strangers. It was the kind of revelation that required her to get some air. So she headed outside for a smoke. Lester caught Ben's eye and mouthed some judgy about Jesse still smoking. Shannon didn't even look up from her phone, not until. Jesse barged back in and her face was ashen and her cigarette still unlit in her hand. She'd looked like she'd seen something outside something that had scared the shit out of her. Jesse gestured wildly at the door and asked the group if they'd seen that. Some kind of thing, a machine in the sky, flying low. 
It disappeared in the trees not too far away. A plane, Lester asked? But Jessie shook her head. She didn't think so. It moved weirdly, like up and down, sideways and all that. The rest of the cluster traded looks, eyebrows raised. Finally, Ben wondered, if it wasn't a plane, what was it? Jessie had no idea. All she knew is that all her friends were staring at her like she had a thousand heads. Well, except Shannon, who was frantically sending emails on her phone. Jessie tried again to explain, but she knew she'd lost the room. Hell, she knew she'd never had the room. The cluster settled into an uneasy evening after that, a tense dinner, an early bedtime. Everyone except Shannon. She took advantage of the quiet evening to set up shop on one of the Adirondack chairs on the porch. After about an hour of hunching over her laptop screen, she leaned back and rubbed her eyes, wondering how she was going to get out of that deep chair with her eight-month belly and no one to pull her up. A loud rustle came from the darkness, near the edge of the porch. Some animal, maybe. She set her laptop down and shined her phone light on the spot. Nothing there. So she moved the beam along the edge of the porch and stopped on what looked like a pile of pale green wax. It reflected against the light, like it was slick with Vaseline. It moved. First, a small stir. Then, it shot out of the path of her flashlight into the darkness. Before she could see what the hell it was, a moment passed. Then another. The countryside was quiet. Shannon waved the flashlight around, hoping to catch a glimpse of it, or hoping to confirm it was gone, which it seemed to be. So she struggled out of the chair back towards the house, flashlight still scanning the porch. That's when she heard the sound of running footsteps and a big thud, like something had just launched itself into the air. She looked to her left, just in time for her light to catch a pair of humongous glowing amber eyes flying towards her like a bat out of hell. Shannon gasped as this thing hurtled into her, its arms wrapped around her face and a pair of thin legs latched themselves around her torso. A cold breath panted against her cheek as a slimy hand grabbed her jaw and forced her mouth open. Its flesh tasted rancid on her tongue as webbed fingers creeped between her lips, trying to reach down her throat, maybe trying to reach down to her belly towards the child that was growing there. But then something whizzed through the air, hitting the creature. It fell from her chest, leaving Shannon wheezing. Jessie stood at the door, looking shell-shocked. She'd just hucked a box of cigarettes at that thing. Must have been heading out for a smoke break. The why of Jessie's presence left Shannon's mind when she heard a rhythmic clicking sound. But she didn't just hear it. She felt it. A frenetic vibration that ripped through her entire body, filling her with something like static. It was like nothing she'd ever experienced, but she knew exactly where it was coming from. That thing. Jesse grabbed her arm and pulled them both inside, slamming the door shut behind them. They waited there, panting, as a creak came from the porch, along with the rapid pattering of footsteps. 
Then the handle on the door turned ever so slowly and stopped. Nothing else happened. Behind them, a sleepy Ben and Lester plodded into the room, and Lester loudly wanted to know what the hell was all that noise. At the sound of his voice, the door shook violently, like that thing outside was ramming itself against the wood, hoping it would splinter. But then, seconds later, it was quiet again. It stayed that way. The question started. Ben and Lester, of course, wanted to know what was going on. Jesse demanded Shannon tell her what that was. Shannon asked Jesse to explain what she'd seen when she came outside. It was absolute chaos. Shannon pulled out her phone and called animal control, who didn't pick up. Jesse called the police, but when she explained what was wrong, they laughed. And why wouldn't they laugh? It was the weekend of the Little Green Man Festival, the anniversary of the fateful night 60 some odd years ago, when that family had claimed to be attacked by aliens. And every damn year around this time, the police got a lot of prank calls about strange critters running around. None of them were real, either hoaxes or imaginations running wild. All that's to say, Jesse got hung up on. Being hung up made them a little nervous, or more than a little nervous, really. It wasn't just that no one was coming to do anything about the attack. It was the newly introduced idea that that thing could be an alien. Ben and Lester, who hadn't seen shit at this point, was still game to explain it away. They wondered if the attack had been some kind of animal. Possums are really creepy, Ben said. He'd even written a horror poem about him. It was called The Perilous Possum, and a snippet was included in the journal. I'm not going to read it to you because I'm your friend. Just trust me, you don't need to hear it. A loud bang made them all look up. A pattering sound followed. Footsteps racing from side to side on the roof. Jessie sucked in her breath because she just realized what was happening. It was looking for a way in, she said. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Whether you're searching for a home to buy or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and gives personalized recommendations based on the homes that you like so you can find the home that's just right for you. You can favorite homes, share listings with others, and even schedule tours with a local Redfin agent all in the app. When you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process, and they know how to help you win the right home at the right price. So download the Redfin app to get started today. Shannon and Jesse sprinted around the house, closing and locking all the doors, and ordered Lester and Ben to do the same. Ben headed to the bathroom on the first floor, right by the kitchen, and he didn't say this to anyone, 
but he was actually getting excited. He'd always wrote everything down, hoping it'd be fodder for inspiration, but he lived a decently uneventful life. So even if there wasn't some kind of extraterrestrial visitor outside, this chaotic night was gold. Inside the bathroom, the window was open. A slight breeze blew its lace curtains around. He reached over and slammed it shut, then turned to leave. A noise stopped him. It sounded like the window was opening again, because it was. A pair of long, lustrous fingers curled around the bottom of the frame. They pushed the pane up slowly, but firmly. Then a pale arm reached in followed by a shoulder, then a round, bulbous head, which looked right at Ben. Its huge, glowing eyes took up almost its entire face. Its slack skin glistened in the moonlight. Then it dropped into the bathroom and unfurled itself. It was short, a muscular torso teetered on overly thin legs. It looked like a roided-up version of those cardboard cutouts they usually had at the Little Green Man Festival every year, which told him the impossible was actually happening. That there hadn't been a possum attack. That this was a Hopkinsville goblin. He felt the scream tear from his throat as this thing, this alien, stumbled forward with its webbed hands outstretched a deep, ethereal clicking sound came from its throat, filling Ben with that horrible, horrible static that Shannon had experienced. He stumbled backwards, hands over his ears as he tore out of the bathroom. The cluster congregated around and waited for him to explain his screams. But when he caught his breath, he noticed all their faces had turned from curiosity to horror. They were looking at something behind him. He didn't even have time to turn around before a hand grabbed his shoulder, and then a cold arm wrapped around his neck. Then the weight of that thing climbed on his back. Ben panicked then. He sprinted around the room, racing into the kitchen, all while slapping at the creature. He grabbed a hold of his hair and pulled, making his head tilt back to meet its horrible, dilated, unnatural eyes just like it had with Shannon. He grabbed Ben's chin and tried to force his mouth open. A cast iron pan slammed into the creature's face, knocking it from Ben's back. It was Lester. He raised the pan and brought it down again, hard. Then again, and again, and again. Globs of steaming, bile-looking pus flew from this thing's body, splashing Lester in the kitchen around him. Finally, he seemed to wake from his fit of fury and dropped the cast iron with a loud clang. He stepped back in horror, shaking his head. He didn't know what came over him, he said. He was a pacifist. He didn't hurt living things. The cluster took in the absolutely demolished thing on the floor. The relief was palpable. The monster, goblin, whatever it was. It was dead. Then... The night outside filled with a deafening, vengeful chorus of what can only be described as scream clicking. The cluster froze as the sounds made their bodies vibrate and their hair stand on end. Those cries, they were more than physically unbearable. They meant 
that the farmhouse was surrounded. Some things were becoming clear. There was more than one alien. Its kin knew that it was dead, and they were pissed. And no one was coming to help them. Jesse turned to the cluster and said that they needed to hunker down or find a way out of there. The others nodded and agreed, hunker down. So they each grabbed whatever they could to find as a weapon. Jesse took the cast iron. Shannon decided on a knife in each hand, then found some kind of electric mixer. Lester looked around for inspiration, and his eyes fell on that gun on the wall, the one he hated. The representation of everything he abhorred. But seeing his friends armed to the gills, his pregnant wife stealing herself to fight, the sticky corpse of the extraterrestrial he killed on the ground, well, all that made him think, fuck it. He grabbed the gun and took a seat at the couch. His shaking hands aimed the barrel at the door. The screams from outside died down, and the group sat there in silence. Every now and then, there'd be footsteps on the roof. A window groaned as something tried to pull it up. The front door handle turned, but nothing came inside. So they settled into an uneasy quiet. Ben set his mixer down to jot some things in his journal. Shannon and Lester held hands, and Jessie, she looked around at her friends, because even in the chaos, they somehow felt like the old cluster again. Every window in the kitchen suddenly shattered, the shards flying inwards as the lithe bodies of at least a dozen little creatures launched themselves through. The cluster was on their feet. Ben hucked every object he could find at the onslaught. Jessie swung her goblin blood-dripping cast iron around. Shannon's frantic knife swings whizzed through the air. Lester's rogue shots peppered the walls, shattered lamps. That is, until an alien jumped onto his shoulders and attempted to force a hand down his throat. Lester jammed the gun's butt over his shoulder, knocking the creature off with a shriek. Enough was enough. Their hunker down was over, so Lester took the initiative and barked out what he considered a life-saving order. Run! The cluster sprinted for the front door. Lester brought up the rear. He shot wildly as he ran and therefore tripped over himself as he tried to make it down the porch steps. He hit the ground and covered his face with his arms, anticipating a thousand slimy hands grabbing him. There was only one, and it wasn't slimy. It was Jesse. As soon as Jesse helped him up, they heard Shannon's cry of warning. Jesse and Lester turned just in time to see three of those goblins launch themselves off the roof. Their webbed hands spread wide and their thin legs trailed behind them like a wedding train as they floated through the air, a trio of angelic monsters. They clicked as they drifted, sending shockwaves through the foursome as they watched on in horror. Only Lester could react. He shot at them, but missed each time. Jesse pulled on his arm, dragging him towards the car which Shannon and Ben were already sitting in. Lester and Jesse piled into the back seat, and they slammed the doors. They all sat there a moment, panting, hearts pounding, until Lester wondered, why weren't they driving? 
Shannon and Ben turned around, faces somber. No one grabbed the keys. The cluster turned to look at the house they'd just run from. The moon shone above it like a spotlight, illuminating the hordes that were now coming over the roof. Their long arms pulled them across the shingles. Below on the porch, even more of their kind crept from the home or scurried out of the brush. All were headed to where the cluster sat. Our college buds braced themselves as the aliens descended on the car. Their mouths licked the windshield. Their unbalanced faces peered through the glass. Their muscular arms rocked the car. Jessie closed her eyes, thinking about something to take her mind off their rapidly approaching demise. Over the den, she asked her friends if they remembered the huge frat party that got broken up by the cops. The four of them hid together in the bushes outside, hoping they wouldn't get caught. This felt a lot like that. The memory elicited a few uneasy laughs. Ben mused that he'd give anything to go back to that night right about now. The rest of the cluster agreed. Jesse sort of teared up then, because just as her friends were remembering that they missed the good old days, she was realizing you can never go back. Not really. Then, from down the road, they heard something. A police siren. And this sound had an effect that no one expected. It made the creatures leave. And fast. They fled in one massive wave, toppling over one another to get into the woods. By the time the cops reached the farm, nothing was left but the traumatized cluster still waiting in the car. The cops said some neighbors had heard gunshots and called it in. The cluster, in turn, explained a whole lot of fucking aliens had just tried to kill them. But when the police looked around, all they saw was the damage, the mess, no sign of an invasion, not even the dead asshole in the kitchen. As for the cluster, they spent a lot of time discussing what happened that night. They decided whatever those things had wanted, they'd realized it wasn't worth it. Or maybe they had gotten what they came for and that the cluster would spend the rest of their lives wondering just what that was. Least they had each other to reminisce with. I stared at the last line of the journal, which was another of Ben's poem attempts. I will read you this one. No one believed that family back then and so no one thought it could happen again. But as this foursome will tell you, that mindset's a problem. Because Hopkinsville hasn't seen its last vicious goblin. I let the final line of Ben's crappy poem hang there for a moment before I closed the journal. Its spine cracked a bit, like it was relieved to be shut again. I could hear the birds chirp outside could feel the softness of the sheets under me on the bed. It was a nice place to stay. But sadly, see, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to do much relaxing here. I'd have to inform Miss Proprietor I was checking out early. Run, fool! is a production of Ballin Studios, Campside Media, and At Will Media. It is hosted 
and executive produced by me, Rodney Barnes. This episode was written by Kate Murdoch and produced by Abakar Adan. Edited by Matt Scher. It was sound designed and mixed by Kevin Seaman. Our team also includes Rosie Guerin, Will Malnati, and Matt Hickey. Creature vocalization by Terry Casburn and artwork by Jessica Clogston Kiner. Production support by Jeremy Bond and Cole Locasio. Special thanks to Mark McAdam and Seth Richardson and our operations team, Doug Slaywin, Ashley Warren, Sabina Mara, and Destiny Dingle. Executive producers at Ballin Studios are Mr. Ballin, Nick Witters, and Zach Levitt. Executive producers at Atwill Media are Will Malnati and Rosie Garrett. Executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Scher, Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, and Adam Hoff. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. <laughs>